Good evening from Southeast Asia. <clears throat> this will be episode number 13, lucky number 13 of the Southeast Asia Chronicles podcast things. Probably going to change the name at some point, I don't know. We are not creative sometimes, often. <laughs> um, 13 is a fitting number for this one because it's, uh, <clears throat> we're going to do most or all of the podcast on, I don't know, maybe the darkest aspect of uh, Southeast Asia. It's the darkest one, darkest thing I know of that has happened in modern times in Southeast Asia. Been a lot of ugly, bad, stupid crap has happened, but uh, this is, I'm really sure this is the worst. Um, <clears throat> this is the story of Pol Pot in Cambodia, mostly southern Cambodia, Phnom Penh down in there. The reason that we're going to cover this is, number one, we've been concentrating an awful lot on Thailand, uh, just because that's where I spent the most time. <clears throat> but these podcasts are about Southeast Asia, and I'm trying to give you some overview. If you decide to go to Southeast Asia, you may not end up in Thailand. Um, I could have easily ended up in Cambodia or uh, Burma or anywhere. Um, well, I did end up in Cambodia later, but you need to... God, I'm, I'm trying to give you a feel for the flavor of the region. So many people go there, so many guys go there to Southeast Asia, and they are clueless. They think it's going to be <clears throat> like, I don't know, California or Georgia or something uh, with a different language. A little bit backwards. That's what they think. And they go there from Great Britain, England, thinking the same damn thing. And the really weird part is that when they, after they get there, maybe they've been there six months, they have no clue what they were getting into. And after six months, they have no clue where they are. They still think they're in England. And they don't understand when things are different, really, really systemically down on the atomic level, different. And they don't get it. And, they're, and they, they sort of walk around scratching their heads like, well, how, how could this be? But no, this doesn't make any sense. Well, in England, it's like this, you know. In California, it's like this. You ain't in Kansas anymore. Really? You're not? It's... No, oh, I wish I had a magical, magic wand and I could go... And I could impart into your brain how vastly, incomprehensibly different it's going to be. And that, that's actually... The, 
that is the, the magic for a lot of people. That's what I wanted. I want different, different, different. I wanted Mars. I wanted Venus. I didn't even want to be in the same solar system. I wanted Zeta Reticuli, Reticuli, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, no such thing is too different for me. Even having said that, I was still shocked pretty regularly. Shocked. Stunned. I still am. After 10, 11 years, I still am. Uh, wow. It's a, but, but so many guys don't get that. So here's, here, I'm going to give you one really concentrated dose of evil here. And that's what this is. This is it's a huge steaming pile of concentrated evil dumped right onto your head. And what I hope this accomplishes is to <clears throat> reset, no, not even reset, wipe out, wipe out, nuke some of your preconceptions about, it's a very busy night out there, some of your, uh, your preconceptions of, about Southeast Asia. They need to be nuked. They need to be excised and replaced with some realities. Um, it, it's like I, I was going through some uh, some online forums tonight. These guys were writing in with these uh, tales of woe about their uh, Filipino girlfriends, and uh, you know, well, you you get I don't you get fifty of the of this particular story. You get fifty of these a day. This one guy wrote in and he said, uh, "Man, I uh, I had this girlfriend for four years. I lived in Virginia." I had this girlfriend for four years. She was in the Philippines. Never met her, you know, but we were faithful. We were, you know, and we were going to be married. And I finally, uh, <clears throat> I retired or whatever happened. I got the money I was waiting for, whatever happened. And I traveled to the Philippines. And, oh, God, we, she, she we, you know, we, we, uh, we texted 20, 50 times a day. And we, we video chatted three or four times a day right up until I got on the flight, you know? God, I was the one, she was the one. Oh, man. And he got to the airport in Manila. She met him faithfully. Good, loyal girl, she met him. Oh, God, they're so happy, they're so happy. Finally, it's all coming true. And they got in a cab, and they're going to go get a hotel, I guess, in Manila for a few days, look around. And then they're going out to the province where she lived. And then they're going <clears> to <throat> start the uh, the wedding uh, prep. That had been the plan for four years. He'd been send sending her money all this time. And... She stayed with him. Well, no, no, no way. I'm, I'm going too far. I'm jumping ahead. In the cab on the way to the hotel in Manila, she was happy, 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 happy days. And then suddenly she's crying. And he said, oh, God, what's, what's the matter? He, he thought, oh, she's so happy. She's crying. Oh, my God, this is great. 
but this wasn't a happy kind of a cry. And she just kept crying and crying. And cab driver's kind of looking at him like, uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, am I going to get paid or not? And he says, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? Oh, we can fix it. It doesn't matter what it is. And uh, she would raise her head up and look at him and just cry all the harder. Oh, God. Okay. Finally confessed uh, she'd been married for a while. Some other Falang, some other white guy. He just got there first. <laughs> Bird in hand, you know. And uh, they'd been living together down in the province. And uh, he doesn't know she's what she came for. She, she said she had a sick friend in Manila, you know. And, uh, you know, sorry, sorry, honey. Yeah. Maybe I should have told you before you got on the plane, you know. So they went to the hotel and she fucked him for four days, he said. Fucked his brains out for four days. And um, then went home to hubby. She was pregnant, by the way. And he wrote into the forum, just about insane, just about crazy with grief and shock. No understanding. What, what 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 has happened here? I did, how can this happen anywhere on Earth? I don't understand this. This this is this is not normal Earth. This is not real life. This is uh, something. I must have fallen down, hit my head, and I'm having a halcyon dream. Something. I'm. I had a stroke. I'm in a coma. This. I, uh, he was just going on like that in the forum, and. I normally don't answer those. I don't engage in them because <clears throat> these guys are just so goddamn clueless. It gets to the point where they're so clueless that you just say, well, just got to learn. <laughs> but I did answer this one and I, and I wrote and I said, well, every guy who comes here should have adjusted their thinking and their psyche and their vision of reality to accept that when this happens, not if, when this happens, it is no more traumatic than a change in dinner plan. Let's sink in for a minute, because that's the God's truth. A girl does this to you, or worse, or far, far worse. Far worse. And I'll tell more stories as we go. Far, 50,000 times worse than this. When that happens from a girl in Southeast Asia, God, I, 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 if I had my ping pong paddle, I could slap you, slap you, slap you, you know. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You're not dreaming. Well, you are. You're dreaming. I'm trying to wake you up. Okay. Uh, ping pong paddle would be such a lovely thing to have that I could reach, I could reach through, I could reach right there. Ready? It's going to sting. It's going to sting a hundred times because I'm going to do it a hundred times. <laughs> you know, like that. 
Are you awake yet? <laughs> That's what I want. Oh, God. Um, when this happens, when this happens, and it'll happen to nearly every single guy who comes here, at one point or another, I mean, a few guys come down here, they get lucky, they get the first one, they get married, they're happily, you know, forever. You know, they stay together 30 years till he dies. <laughs> and little did he ever suspect she had two other husbands, you know, in the neighboring towns. He, he thought she was a faithful, um, you know, princess, but whatever. Um, when this happens, when exactly this, or far, far worse, when these things happen to you, your brain must be in such a place where you simply change your plans for dinner. That's it. Please, if you got, if you know people come down here, please just let them listen to these five minutes. They don't have to listen to the whole podcast. Just listen to this part. This is so critically important. This is why all these old geezers step off their balconies on the 39th floor. You, you don't have this experience in, in, in your, in your brain to deal with these things because you came from a place that, yeah, it was fucked up. The women were fucked up, they were dishonest, they cheated, they fucked you over, they, you know, lied to you. And, okay. This is a whole nother universe of getting fucked over. And I'm making it sound like there's not a single good one anywhere in Southeast Asia. There are. Oh, God. There are. But they're rare. They're really, really rare. If you find one, don't let her go. Like I did a few times. I mean, I, I think I had good ones. Maybe I didn't, you know, maybe six months I would have gone through something like this. Um, when I came down here, I was, I was sufficiently experienced in the darker sides of life <clears throat> that I, I expected these things and I was not shocked. Not shocked. God, I got stories and they're going to come out. Okay, so I'm trying to give you a whole paradigm shift and you're thinking about Southeast Asia. I'm trying to tell you the girls are on a level that you cannot comprehend yet. I'm trying to get it through to you, but you're going to resist it. I'm pouring water on a rock. I know I am. All I can hope for is that when this shit happens, instead of stepping off that balcony, you're, you're going to think, oh, no, let's see. I remember I listened to this podcast by this guy. He was a flaming asshole. He thought all girls were Satan. But they are. <laughs> Everything he said was going to happen has happened. So maybe I'm preparing you just to teach a little bit. And I, I want to try to get through to you the... Can I say it? The very atmosphere is different. The air. The life force. It's all alien. 
Now, I'm going to tell you a story about Pol Pot. And I'm doing this to shock the piss right out of you. It's all true. Been there. It's all true. I've studied it for quite a few years. I'm not a scholar of Pol Pot. Um, but I know enough to tell this story. And I hope I don't get any little details wrong. I might. You can go read them yourself. Look them up for yourself to be absolutely sure I'm telling the absolute truth. Um, and and I, I don't need so much to be absolutely correct at the atomic level on the on every part of it. Um, it's the deeds that you need to understand. You need to understand that How, you need to understand how different these people are, because you don't get it. I positively, positively guarantee, if you haven't been here and spent time here, at least a year or two, if you always you know, came here on vacation in, uh, you know, 92, okay, well, that's, fuck that, you know, that's, that has no meaning whatsoever. Um, I've had a number of family come down here and they'll spend even a couple of months and, and they're like, God, you, you tried to tell me. You tried to tell me. And I didn't believe you. I thought it was just some fish story shit you're telling me. God, you didn't even tell, you didn't even scratch the surface of how bizarre it is. What the hell? Why didn't I listen? And then they would go home to the U.S. And uh, all the friends would ask them, oh, God, what was it like? You know, Southeast Asia, what was that like? And they would just begin to tell them, and, the, and the, all the guys were, come on, come on, we're not that fucking stupid, you know. And they had only even just begun to tell them what they saw, only in two months, not in 10 or 11 years. Okay, so here's the story of Pol Pot. And this is, again, to shock your brain into learning to think about life and reality in a whole new way. I hope this works for you. Now, Pol Pot was a little fuckhead. He was Khmer. He was Cambodian. Um, somehow, I don't, I don't know what his really early background was. He must have had some money. He went to university in the U.S. to study what? I don't know. Cooking. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. Um, I don't know who he stayed with there. So this must have been, for him, this must have been like about early 60s, something like that, probably, that he's in the U.S., I, I'm guessing. I'm just guessing. Um, you know, I, every once in a while I'd be talking about this with some Pol Pot scholar, and I would say something like that. Well, I, well what, let's see, he was in university in the U.S. in the early 60s, right? No, goddammit. No, I was 64, you fucking moron, you know. Okay. It doesn't matter if it was 62 or 64, you know, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ, anal retentive much. Uh, okay, so I had that happen in a restaurant, actually. Guy's just barking. No, it was 64 or whatever year it really was. I don't even remember now because I don't care. Anyway, he goes to university in, in America. I don't remember what university. Back east, pretty sure back east. Uh, as I recall, it was a semi-prestigious university. 
money, good money. And he was a fuck up. I think the first while, the first year, maybe he was okay, kind of sort of, you know, just average student. And they started fucking around and fucking around and fucking around. And it just got worse and worse. And he wasn't cutting it, wasn't cutting it. Uh, and I don't remember what his malfunction was, if it was drugs or what. Or just laziness or, or might have been just plain stupid, I don't know. But he wasn't cutting it. And I don't remember if he got, oh, he, I think he did. I think he did get kicked out. I'm pretty sure he got kicked out. 80% sure he got kicked out. Doesn't matter. He left university, okay? And he was a fuck up. He was doing poorly. If he didn't get kicked out, he was gonna get kicked out, okay? He failed at university. And so he ends up in France someplace, new university, whole new, whole new ballgame. And the French, some professor got a hold of him and extolled upon him the supreme virtues of communism. And he just gobbled it up. It's like, oh my God, I am home. This is what I've dreamed of all my life, communism. Oh, fuck. And I don't know at what point he changed his name to Pol Pot. I think he might have done it. Oh, I'm just not sure. I think it was around in the time he was in one university or another. He changed it. He didn't legally change it. He just started calling himself Pol Pot. Um, and nobody ever knew why, and he would never explain it. And everybody concluded, well, it doesn't have any meaning at all. He just pulled it out of his ass. You know, whatever. It, it was just a wet fart. And he put his hand down there and said, yeah, that smells good. Let's use it. You know, like that. That was about the only explanation I ever got from it. So he goes to France and they, and they teach him about communism. He's like, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Communism is the way. Okay. And he's learning about the old style communism where farming, you know, that's the answer to all things. Farm, farm, work hard and farm. You don't need anything else in life. You know, that's it. Okay. So that sunk into his little tiny pea brain. He, they were pouring water on a rock everywhere else. And there they found a crack and it soaked into his brain. Communism soaked into his brain. So he gets out of there. I don't know what other travels he might have done. He ends up back in Cambodia, Kombucha, and get into the military, maybe a family deal, I'm not sure. And he worked his way up through the ranks somehow. I don't know, slowly or quickly, I don't know. He ended up becoming a general of the Khmer Army. Now, this was when Vietnam was winding down uh, and Cambodia had already been sacked. Cambodia had um, sided with uh, North Vietnam, the Chinese, communism. And, uh, and the Americans said, no, 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 that's bad. We, now we really don't like you. And they just fucked them. They just fucked them. They bombed them back into the Stone Age. And I mentioned that in the last tape, uh, politicians were on TV joking about it. I remember seeing them in real time. And they're on TV joking, yeah, we bombed them back into the Stone Age. And they did not exaggerate. They, they really, really, really did. They fucked them. Fucked them. Jesus Christ, they fucked them. Uh, Cambodia didn't have much of an army or military or anything. Anyway, they were a poor country, you know. Could have been Thailand. Thailand went the other way. They sided with the U.S. and they came out of it smelling like roses. 
uh, Cambodia could have done the same thing. They just, you know, the any, meeny, miny, mo, uh, communism, okay, like that. There's no. Well, they had more pressure <coughs> uh, from the Chinese because of the huge Chinese presence in Cambodia, huge, 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 uh, more than in uh, Thailand. So, you know, whatever, they were, they were leaning that direction, I think, anyway, going, going with the communists. And then they were right next door to Vietnam. And Vietnam, you know, the communist uh, influencers were in Cambodia. And, and the communists, uh, the Chinese in North Vietnam, really, really wanted Cambodia because it was strategic. And the U.S. didn't really care at all. Yeah, they kind of wanted it, but, you know, anyway. So Cambodia went uh, communist and the U.S. was pissed and uh, fucked them, just fucked them. Um, under the guise of, you know, lots and lots of North Vietnamese hiding in Cambodia. So let's just kill everybody, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out. You know, that was the scorched earth. And God, they did it. They fucked. Oh, Jesus, it was nasty. You can still go everywhere and, and, and see the well, twisted bridges laying in rivers and railroad tracks, you know, like bowls of spaghetti and shit like that from, from Vietnam. And the whole place is lousy, lousy, lousy with... Um, Unexploded ordnance, landmines. It's lousy. Cambodian Lao. Just, they're everywhere. Uh, and, and I'll tell stories, when we get to Lao, I'll tell you stories about landmines. Um, okay, so, Cambodia is down for the count. You know, they're like on their hands and knees, on the ground, they're coughing blood. They're wheezing, hard to breathe, you know, figuratively. Um... And Pol Pot came along. Cambodia's weak. Pol Pot came along. And he's a general or whatever, I think. Maybe higher than a general, I'm not sure. At least a general in the, in the Khmer army. And he's like, okay, okay, turkeys, listen up. I know what's going to save Cambodia. I, I, I know this in my soul. I can see a vision of the future. Follow me. And uh, if you don't, you know, well, yeah, you have to pretty much. <laughs> you know, this ain't no democracy there. And the people were like, well, I, I don't know. What, what's your plan? You know, what it could, there's no elections or anything down there. There still isn't. It's just horseshit. Um, even just a few years ago, the Phnom Penh uh, government shut down the last <laughs> newspaper. In the city, in the region, because they didn't like the shit that they said about the government. They just shut them down. No, when I left Thailand, there was no uh, newspapers anywhere in the region. They're, they had gotten them down to one. <laughs> they had to shut. Them. That's how it works down there. Okay, think of that happening in America. Um, so Pol Pot decided. Now we be communists. Vietnam was winding down. It was just about over. Uh, and he's going to rebuild Cambodia and make it strong. Okay. So he had this notion, apparently from some French university, that the only way for people to live is to farm. Period. That's all you ever needed to do. Farm. And that will solve every problem you've got in life and probably the afterlife too. So he, where'd he go first? I think he marched 
he was hanging around outside of Phnom Penh. Phnom Penh is a city about the size of, uh, yeah, I don't know what the population is. It's, uh, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. My guess would be, God, I don't know, maybe 100,000. I, I would think no more than that. So it's a city. There's really only a couple of cities in Cambodia. You know, it's not, there's not a lot going on there. Um, but it was a city. It was trying to be a city. And then and they had some cool stuff going on there. They were, they were being a society, you know, of sorts of best they could do, especially after Vietnam. Uh, before Vietnam, they were, they were coming along in the world. They were, they were putting one foot in front of the other. They were doing not that badly. And they were kind of coming up in the world. Um, Cambodians are, I kind of like them. My mic is <laughs> I kind of like them. Um, they're they're much more focused than ties. They they can be focused on ripping you off too, killing you. You know they're more focused when they kill you. Um, but they I, I saw that in Burma also. Yeah, now they call it Myanmar. Um, people are more focused. We'll talk about Myanmar later. Um, so Pol Pot said, let's, let's do it my way, because I know the answer to all your problems. And the people, people were like, well, I don't know, we're not really sure. <clears throat> and uh, Pol Pot said, well, I don't care if you're sure or not, you're, you're going to do it. And he simply took over Phnom Penh, brought in his troops. I don't know how many troops he had. I don't think it was huge, but it didn't matter because the people could not object. Why? Because they didn't have any guns. Even if they wanted to organize and stop the little Khmer army, they had no guns. They had steak knives. Why didn't they have any guns? Because the government, years before, had taken away all their guns. Took them all. Why? I did this in the last one. I, I did this when I hit the mic. For their safety. I did it again. Bastard thing. <laughs> um, so the people had no guns. And they had diddly, nothing. Didn't even have a 32 caliber five shot. You know, they had nothing. Stick knives, really, literally, that's all. Oh, they had some machetes, you know. But they're not trained to fight. And so Pol Pot said, okay, all you people, the teachers, a lot of the doctors, well, it turned out to be all the doctors in the end, librarians, scholars, um, police, you know, all the people he didn't like because the teachers had been mean to him in American University. Oh, he didn't like them. They were, they were rude, you know. He was a fuck-up, and they told him that. Okay, so now, now he's going to get those fucking teachers, you know. Professors, everybody. So he rounded them up first. He rounded them up by force. Just went around, door to door, 
Phnom Penh, rounded him up. And all the other people, they're watching like, huh, huh, what, what, are, what are you doing, huh, huh? And if they objected too much, they got a rifle butt in the face. So now he's got a whole shitload of all the people he doesn't like. And he put him in trucks, mostly trucks. A little, a few of them went in trains, mostly trucks, because the trains couldn't go where they needed to go necessarily. Well, not all the time. And he just put him in there. He just marched him into these trucks and probably buses too, and uh, told the drivers where to go. And if you don't go there, we'll kill you. And so they went there. And the destinations were out into the fields east. Well, they were everywhere. But the places that I have been were out east of Phnom Penh uh, quite a ways. It's like an hour and a half drive, something like that. So, but, but I mean, it, you know, that's a donkey walking speed, you know. So, um, I don't know how many miles, how many kilometers. It's a little bit of a ways outside. It's where the real vastness of the farms started out there outside of town. The real open farmlands, that's where they were. And he let them off the buses and uh, said, now you motherfuckers farm. That's pretty much all he said. And the people, the doctors and the lawyers, oh, well, the lawyers, oh, fuck those lawyers, you know, they were, they were really the bad ones. And the teachers, especially the fucking arrogant teachers, and farm. And 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 they're like, what, 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 what? I I never farmed. I'm sorry. I don't know how to farm. I'm a teacher my entire life. Farm? What? Well, what? And that was just they're just bewildered, bewilderment, and shock. And. Nobody could farm, nobody knew how to farm, nobody knew even how to hold a hoe. Their hands were soft and pasty. Nobody ever dug a hole. And they're just thinking, going, what the hell, what's going on here, what the hell? Okay, so he put them out in the fields, gave them rudimentary tools, gave them very basic things. Okay, you, you dig a ditch, you take this hoe, you dig a ditch, you know, you're going to, you're going to dig this ditch for a mile, go in that direction. What? So they're out there in the heat, and they had shit food, they had rice, barely had water, and they're getting sick, and they're collapsing, and they're producing almost no work product whatsoever because they don't know how to, and they're going to shape to, and they don't know what the hell they're supposed to do, and the tools were shit. And so it was just a big old clusterfuck. And I, I don't know how many people he put out there in the beginning, but, he, but he's got more buses coming every day, every day, every day. So it didn't really matter. You know, he's got reinforcements are on the way. You know. And he kept doing this over a period of time. From the time he started to the time that Phnom Penh was not kind of like a ghost town. It was a ghost town. The only people left in Phnom Penh were the soy dogs and a few military troops to make sure nobody snuck back into town, you know, into the city. But it was a city. It was a city. 
So that's it. It was deserted. The Those troops must have had a heyday because they owned that entire city. Anything they wanted to eat, any place they wanted to sleep, didn't matter. So it was theirs. It was their oyster. It was their cherry. I don't know how many troops were there. I, I would I would guess maybe 100 or 200, something like that, just a guess. The scholars know this shit. And they, and they would rudely correct me if, I, if I'm saying wrong stuff. Um, and you can know it too. If you really want to dig, you know, if you, if you really want to do the research and go do it, go Google it. You can get every fact you ever want. And it's all pretty well documented. Remember, this is the, this is the mid 1970s. You know, this is not the goddamn dark ages. 1970s. What were you do? What were you doing in 73, 74? You know, working at the car wash probably while you're going to college. Having a good life. Eating burgers. Went out to rock and roll, you know? Lots and lots and lots of Americans didn't even know this was going on. We did. The news started creeping out. I don't know. I, I would guess tens of thousands of us wanted to go there. And I, I was apoplectic. I want to go there so bad. How do I get there? Can I get on a plane? I had a wife and a kid. But I, but I gotta go there. I gotta go there because this motherfucker's gotta be stopped. I don't like bullies. And this was the biggest bully since Hitler, as far as I know. So, there's a span of time there where he's busting them out, busting them out, busting them out, truckload, truckload, truckload. And pretty soon he's got the entire population of Phnom Penh and some of the surrounding area out into the farm fields spread all over that southern uh, Cambodia. And, and the military guys were out there directing them. Well, they didn't have a farm either. These military guys, they're just, you know, these are like conscripts rounded up off the streets pretty much, taking dragged out of the bars. Just ragtag fuckers. Almost no train. Could barely shoot a gun. And only only some percentage of them had a gun anyway. Um, so they're commanding all these people to farm. And by now they've got all the women and children. Children. To every age. Babies on up. And they've got them out there. In the fields. Spread all over the place. More concentrated in some places than others. And the mantra just was repeated over and over and over and over. Farm. Well, we didn't know how to farm. Farm. Well, what do we do? What, which, end, which end of this shovel-looking thing do we hold? Farm, you know. And so they're out there poking around. They're doing stupid shit that doesn't even make any sense. It's not producing anything. Uh, the farmers who were there would go around and try to show them, you know, how to, how to, yeah, you hold this end, you know, and you, and you do this and you make a little ditch thing and then, you know, you gotta get these weeds and you gotta put the water here and, you, and, and it just went like that for quite a while and I don't know how long. Um, actually I've forgotten a lot about this because I've tried to forget. They were out there some years, I believe, several years, two or three, doing this shit. And food is getting scarce. The army gets the best food. The workers get the shit. You ever read Animal Farm? 
It was required reading for me in fourth grade. Read it. Animal Farm. It, this was Animal Farm. Um, production went way down. Well, it never really went up. It just stayed down. The the Khmer, Polpot, the Khmer, they wanted to overthrow some goddamn thing. I don't even know what. I, I think they had, I think they had secret plans to take over all of Southeast Asia. Which is a pretty heady, you know, little, little Hitler son of a bitch, you know. You know, I, I never looked up the years of what year Hitler died and what year Pol Pot was born. You know, reincarnation? I don't know. I, I never looked into it. Somebody knows the dates. I don't. Reincarnated Hitler. I don't know. Wouldn't that be bizarre? <laughs> You're not going to prove that through DNA, but uh, the soul certainly seems to be of the same makeup. So, Pol Pot needed a shitload of more weapons of every kind. Even machetes. <laughs> they barely had machetes. And so he got this wild idea that what little farm, well, I'm sorry, what little food they were getting from the farms, they needed to trade that to, I believe, the Chinese. Can't remember exactly. For weapons. Because once they had enough weapons, then they were going to go take over some fucking thing. I don't know. Thailand would have been the next logical um, target. And the Thais are watching this shit. The Thais, the, the Thais in, in uh, Cambodia have always had trouble. They don't like each other. Never liked each other at all. They, they're still having little shooting spats today over stupid little boundaries and shit like that. They're, uh, they're really, really bad neighbors. Um, so they took all any excess food and tried to trade it for arms. They got shit arms, high prices of food. And whatever was left over went to the troops. And if the troops left anything on their plate, then that went to the people doing the work to create the food. Okay. Uh, people were dying left and right. They couldn't hold up to anything. They couldn't hold up to the heat. They, they, they just, uh, the kids were getting to be a real burden because they couldn't produce anything at all. We still had to feed them take care of them. And Pol Pot was getting more and more pissed. And he's commanding more and more loudly, farm motherfuckers. And the people's reaction was always the same. You know, I, I can't do what I don't know how to do. And even then I'm not going to do it well because I never did it before. And you know, like that. So he started making examples of them. So-and-so didn't farm today. So-and-so didn't produce today. So-and-so was sick today. Oh, they fucking had. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think there was widespread decapitation. It certainly happened in some cases. Mostly what they did was they had these compounds set up in the jungle around the, the farm areas. And that's where the military lived. And they had um, barracks, 
you know, just bamboo huts and shit like that. And that's where all the supplies came into. That's where all the trucks were kept. And, and, the, and the soldiers were living, you know, not that bad of a life. People were out there dying in the fields. But whatever, keep that rice coming, you know. And Pol Pot decided to... The examples worked a little bit, shocked the living crap out of people. Um, they started out shooting them, I believe. They'd, they'd take them into these compounds. So they were all lit up all over the place. The gen sets out there and lights, you know, glaring lights into the centers of these jungly little compound places. And they would line up, I don't know, one or two or five or ten or whatever of the least producing people, the ones that complained or something, I don't know, maybe the ones that were sick, sickest. And they shot them. And then they dragged their bodies off into an area, a mass, it wasn't even a grave. They weren't even graves, they, they just dragged them away, you know, preferably downwind so the stench didn't make you sick all day. Um, and they did that for a while, and that, that kind of motivated people to some degree. But it still wasn't nearly enough, you know. Maybe the productivity went up 5%, but they needed it to go up 100%. So they could buy all these arms, and, and the uh, soldiers were getting kind of hungry, and things were not going well. And uh, so a little bit of killing wasn't really accomplishing much. And besides, they were getting low on bullets. So they got the idea. Okay, let's see. Uh, kill them with machetes then. Just kill them with machetes. Or bayonets if you got them. You know, kill them like that. Uh, and so they started doing that. They would line up people in the compounds at night. And kill them with bayonets and machetes. Whack to the throat, you know, to the carotid. They'd flop down on the ground, spurting for a minute, grabbing their throats. And then they had to drag them, you know, a ways, probably 100 yards out into the, some, some semi-cleared area where they could just drop them, you know, in piles. And, and this helped. They're killing more of these people because they got a total of, well, nobody ever knew exactly how many. They had, he killed at least a million and a half from the Phnom Penh, greater Phnom Penh and, and area in the region down there. So maybe Phnom Penh was bigger than 100,000. Maybe it was more like a million. I'm not sure. It, it's bigger than 100,000 for sure. Uh, he may have killed as many as 4.5 million. That's the high estimate. I, you know, I just sort of split the difference and say 3 million. How many Jews were killed? I um, can't remember. Seven or eight or something. Can't remember. So this is bad shit that he's doing. And so he wanted to kill more and more people. He had to get rid of the weak. Had to get rid of the kids. Had to get rid of those fucking pesky kids. Because they're just not producing anything and there's no reason to be feeding them. And uh, not enough guys had machetes. They were low on machetes. 
in a country of machetes. I don't know how in the fucking fuck they're low on machetes. Maybe they left them all in Phnom Penh. I don't know, but they were low on machetes. And they needed some other way to kill them easily because they're killing, now they're killing thousands. Each camp might kill a few hundred every night like that. I don't know the numbers. Somebody knows the numbers. And there were lots of camps all around the whole region. You know, it wasn't just one spot. And so for the guys, the, the guys with, machete, with machetes, they couldn't kill enough people. They were just in hard work, you know, swinging, 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 waka, 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 you know. Oh, God, after 100, 150, you're just too fucking tired. You got to go sleep, you know, drink some rice wine. Get some horse. Um, so they came up with a brilliant idea. There's a reed that grows down there. The hell is it? Every single time I tell the story, I forget what the reed is. You know, this is just so important. I'm going to go look. God, okay. That was a long search. That was a 10-minute search. They're palm reeds. Holy crap. Google didn't seem to want to give that up. You know, it kind of ticks me off that, you know, this whole thing is being remembered, of course, but little by little, I mean, I've written extensively about this, mentioning palm reeds, and that never came up in any Google search. And I, they, 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 people just want to forget. Well, I, that's Google for you. Google. Google is getting lazy and cheap, I think. I, I think they're, they're rolling off, purging off lots and lots and lots of information that they're just too lazy and cheap to buy servers to hold. I think that's what's going on. So we're losing lots of information. Uh, anyway, palm reeds. Okay, palm reeds were long and stiff. Uh, and serrated and sharp as razors. When I was there, I wanted to look at them. I said, oh, how, how'd they kill people with a palm reed, for God's sake? That's ridiculous. And I went over and got one. They're everywhere. They just grow everywhere. They're wild. And um, I went to break one off and cut myself. <laughs> I thought, that, okay, this is a palm reed. This is, these were used to kill you know, maybe three million people. So you got to be careful. They're Python. Oh, click. Oh, <laughs> you know, gushing blood. Well, that was really smart, wasn't it? Python, you fucking moron. Okay, so they're that sharp. That's the point. Um, the soldiers didn't like dealing with them. They didn't like to handle them because they cut themselves too. Oh, they got a nick, you know. Oh, it's going to make it all the hard to slice the throat of that child. Oh, God dang it. So they didn't like really using the the reeds all that much, but they were plentiful. And then suddenly everybody had one, you know, the people, the guys who didn't have a machete, they had a reed, you know, well, okay, that would work. And they, and you just go with the, with, with the direction of the teeth, you just go across the carotid. And now I've never read this. Don't, do not ask me how I know this. Um, I, Contrary to popular belief, if you want to slice somebody's carotid, you don't hold their neck back like that. Going, no, when you do that, the carotid recedes a little bit back into the flesh. No, you put their neck down like that, and then the carotid comes out close to the neck. Okay. I'm not even going to go there. Um, 
Now, the guys who didn't like the reeds, because they, they nicked their little pinkies, those guys, they would kill them with plastic bags over the head and with hot pokers and uh, I can't even remember all the other shit that they used. It was every grisly medieval thing you could even remotely imagine, all kinds of stuff you could, well, pretty much any way that you could imagine to kill people. You're, you're told, okay, tonight you got to kill a hundred. And you're thinking, oh God, how am I going to do that? Do I have a machete? Well, I got those reeds. Oh, they nick my hands all the time. Look, I've got three cuts right there. Oh, I need sutures. I want a purple heart. Okay. And so you're trying to think of other ways you can kill them. So you've got 10, 20 guys there in the compound and they each got to kill a hundred that night. Now the reeds work pretty well for one reason. If you killed them with a hot poker or bag over the head, something like that, um, they just died, you know, they just died right there. And then they slumped to the ground. And then you got to drag, you know, the arrogant bastards, if they had the audacity to die right there at your feet, you know, oh God, they're rude. Kick them, kick them, kick them. Now, can you imagine YouTube allowing this on there? This is real life. People need to know about real life, but YouTube doesn't want to have anything to do with real life. Okay, anyway, that's, that's my mini rant. Um, so those people died right there at your feet. And then it's hot. You know, Cambodia is hotter than, oh God, it's freaking hot. I've gotten off the airplane a few times coming from Thailand. You get off the airplane, you walk out of the airport and, and you go, Jeez, it's like you stuck your head in an oven. It's like, oh God, I can't breathe this air. What the hell? It's searing the inside of my lungs. You know, that's how hot it feels. Okay, so it's hot, even at midnight out there. Um, so you got the dead people at your feet. You kill two, three, four. And then you got to drag them out into the mass burial grounds. When one filled up, they made another one, another one, another one, another one like that. Um, and it might be 100 meters, something like that. So... With the reeds, it sliced their carotid. If you did it just right, you didn't sever the carotid. You didn't even, you know, you just got it to spurt. It just begins to spurt one side or the other. Choose your side, you know. I'm going to stop. I'm going to try to remind you all the way through this that this really happened. Did this ever happen in America? No, you're out eating burgers and fucking waitresses on roller skates. I'm trying to show you the difference between Western countries and Southeast Asia. Now, nothing of this magnitude ever happened in the other country. Well, God, I, know. I mean, right now in Burma, it's kind of sort of happening. It's been happening for six, seven, eight years. Not those numbers, but just as brutal. Just as brutal. So the deal with the reeds was, if you sliced them just right, not too much, then they would ah, they grab that throat. They're trying to stop that spurting, because they know maybe they can stop that spurting. You know, oh God, they're pushing, they're pushing on that carotid. Well, actually, it's not here. They're pushing, 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 trying to stop that spurting. And the guards say, now, motherfucker, you walk. You walk out into the dark and you go to that field. You know where that field is. You know where the fucking burial ground is. And you don't have to tell them because they can hear the other people out there moaning and crying. 
in the dark. And the people, they're thinking, well, I think he fucked up. I think he made a mistake because he didn't cut it that bad. It's just spurt, 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 you know? I don't feel lightheaded. I mean, I feel sick and woozy and nauseated and I'm terrified, but I'm thinking maybe, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold that motherfucker really hard because now it's not spurting. Now it's not spurting. Not so much. I, th I think I can, I think I can survive this. They don't realize it's still spurting. It's just going internally. It's just building up inside under the skin. But they're thinking maybe they can survive it. Because that fucker is stupid. He didn't cut me deep enough. And they're thinking, okay, I, I can hear the moaning. I know where that is. It's 100 meters that way. There's a trail. It's a clothing litters the trail. You know, in the moonlight, you can see it, maybe. Um, so I'll go out there, and I'll, I'll go with the dying and the dead, and I'll lay down, and I'll just hold that motherfucker until it heals, till it clots. You know? And in the morning, maybe tomorrow night, I'll sneak away. Okay, that, that had to have been the thought going through the heads of, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, male, female, older kids. But the soldiers knew what they were doing. They were doing that exactly like that so that the people would voluntarily walk out there and they didn't have to drag them. They had just enough strength to get out there under their own power, and then they would just lay down. And die. And you didn't have to get all sweaty dragging them out there. If they refuse to go, well, then you get the plastic bag or you get the hot poker or whatever the fuck, you know. And then you had to drag them. So you really want them to go, 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 go. March, you know, they probably told them, you know, if you, you go out there, you pretend like you're dead, and I won't tell anybody. You know, they probably told them like that just so they didn't have to drag them. This is evil, E-V-I-L. That's what it is. That's what it was. Okay, so, as they began killing more and more and more and more and more in the, in the piles of bodies out there, some of these people survived for a couple of days, not that many, but most were dead. Most were dead probably in 30 to 60 minutes. Some survived till morning. There probably, there had to be some stringers that lasted, you know, a couple of days. But they're out there moaning. I actually bled essentially to death once. It wasn't a very nice thing. It wasn't, it wasn't the most horrible thing, but it wasn't very nice either, you know. Uh, I bled to death, essentially to death. Internally, the doc said I had two or three hours. If I wouldn't have gotten in, I wouldn't have been recoverable. Uh, I was to the point where I was uh, just in and out of it. No blood left, and just in and out of it. I knew I was in the hospital. Um, kind of sort of knew why. Really weak. Breathing became mostly more trouble than it was worth. Couldn't move. So weak I couldn't move. Could not move. Uh, so I know what bleeding to death is. It's not the worst way to go. So these people, uh, what happened was they were killing more and more and more. You know, the quota to kill people just went up and up and up and up because they couldn't afford food for them. And so they took all the non-producers or the low producers and, and they had to get that. They just had to get them out. 
most of the women probably went first. Probably older ones also, older guys. Um, we'll talk about the kids in a minute. And what happened was the, the numbers of people out in those dump grounds rose, got to be more and more and more and more and more people. So when they sliced somebody's throat, increasingly they didn't want to go because of the moaning and the wailing and the crying and the sobbing and the begging from out there in the darkness. That was, that was reaching the kind of a cacophony. It sounded like that was kind of like the gates of hell out there. And more and more people didn't want to go. So they'd have to kill them some other way and then drag them. And they didn't want to do that because they're lazy fucks. And it's hot, you know. Oh, my God. Um, and food was scarce, so the soldiers weren't all that strong. I've always wondered if the people would have, could have organized, could even without weapons, could they have overcome the soldiers? And you wonder about that in all kinds of situations, but the people almost never do it. They always never try it because nobody wants to be the first one to die. So, so anyway, what they did to combat that <coughs> was uh, all around these compounds, these big lighted compounds, um, <coughs> they erected huge loudspeakers, uh, and they and they cranked out this tinny, horrible fucking music. Music designed to never have a pause or a silence ever in it. Loud, raucous. Didn't matter what kind of music. It just had to be noise. And that masked the sounds of the moaning and the sobbing and the choking and the pleading and the praying. So your turn had come in the queue. And they'd slice you. So you go, walk. Maybe you'll survive. Go, go out there with those people. Maybe you'll survive. And they couldn't hear any moaning or anything out there. So they figured, well, okay, they, you know, they're kind of back to square one. They just, well, okay, I'll, you know, I'll go out there, pretend like I'm dead, you know. And in a little while they were. Um, and they killed probably a solid three mil. Three million people. Phnom Penh was empty. The surrounding villages were empty. Nobody in. Unless they were farmers. But they had to be productive farmers. They had to work on the big farms, you know. So if they had a little shit farm, five acres, well, I didn't really count. You know, they just take you out there and you had to work on the big farms, you know, be more productive. Um, now, <clears throat> the kids were really in the way. They were really in annoyance. So, they were pretty easy to kill, comparatively. What would have been the percentage of kids? Um, you know, every couple's probably got, you know, an average of more than the U.S. You know, U.S. has got whatever, 2.3 kids per, 
for a couple, you know. Uh, Cambodia and Southeast Asia, they strive to have big families so they can help on the farm, you know, um, and support the old people when they're old. So I don't know what the average was, probably, probably three, probably three kids per family. So, um, you know, you got five people, three of them are kids. Maybe some of them are teenagers, so they're producing a little bit. They're stronger. They can, they don't get sick so easily, you know, they require less food. Um, maybe the older, older teenagers, maybe, maybe they got to live longer. Um, but the little ones, I would say under 14, they just didn't have any value to Pol Pot at all or to the Khmer. Um, the hell did he call himself? He called, he called his army the, the fuck was it? Something, something army of Kombucha. Cause that was their old, old, old name of Cambodia. Kombucha. It, it varies a little bit. They, sometimes they say Kambusha, they say Kombucha, you know, whatever. It's, it's like that. Um, so the kids had to go. And nobody wanted to really take time with them. Why take time with them if you don't have to? Why slice them? Nobody, nobody liked the reeds. Um, takes uh, some time to suffocate people with a bag. Don't even fucking ask me about this. But people are going to be conscious for 60 seconds. You can't really hold your breath for 60 seconds, not, not voluntarily, but you're going to be conscious for 60, probably 90 seconds. And then you're going to fade. And after you're unconscious, your heart's going to keep beating for probably three more minutes, at least three more minutes. Now, If you suffocate them for two or three minutes and then take the bag off, heart's still beating. And pretty often the lungs will start working again and they'll pop back to life. They get half a dozen, dozen good breaths and they're starting to wake up. You gotta fucking start over. Guys learn this in combat if combat if they if they have to kill somebody quietly. You don't stop. You keep choking or you keep the bag. Doesn't care what they do. You stay with them, you roll around, doesn't matter. And you keep it up. And after probably five minutes, the heart finally slows and stops. And then you wait a little more. Another 30 seconds, solid 30 seconds. And then you're probably good to go. If you really want to be sure, if you're in a fucking combat 
and you got bad guys creeping around. You cannot take a chance on that motherfucker waking up. And so you wait another, after the heart stops, you wait another 90. You motherfucking sure. You can't have him gasp. You can't have anything happen. You wait another 90. So you're in it six and a half minutes now. Okay. Kids are really resilient. They can pop back. They can take incredible abuse and pop back. Younger people. So, who wants to waste six and a half minutes? You got a hundred of these to do tonight. You got fucking hundred to do. That's your quota. You got to do a hundred. 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 Nobody's going to waste, you know, five to six and a half minutes on a kid. Fuck that. Um, you try to slice the carotid, you're going to nick your hands up and they're going to wiggle around and scream. So the, the reeds aren't all that good. Hot poker, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were using for hot poker. It's probably sharpened sticks that they would they would make hot in a fire or something like that. I don't know. So they came up with some some new ways to get to off the kids. Um, they did this in a number of the encampments. I only personally know about one place where this was done, and I've gone to that. Well, I'll tell you. You line up the kids. Maybe you maybe you keep them. Uh, just on the other side, you know, 50 feet away on the other side of a little bit of jungle foliage. And you got two or three soldiers there and you, you bring them in one at a time. And you just knock them down, whatever age. They, 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 they did this to the kids that were small enough and young enough that you could pick them up. Not going to do it to a 14 year old. You know, probably up to, well, the, the kids are small. I mean, they're all starving to death and, and Cambodian people are small anyway. So up to 10, probably, probably no older than 10. And they're the ones you want, you most wanted to get rid of anyway, because they're eating all the resources and they're in the way. And the, and the parents are worried about them. So the parents are always distracted, you know, shit like that. They're, they're not, uh, they're not hoeing that field as efficiently as they could. So you bring the next one in the queue and you knock them down. Boys, girls, fully clothed. Maybe they got their teddy bear, crying. They look over 15 feet away and they see some horrific shit that they, they don't want to see. They never want to see that. The sight of hell, they see it anyway. You knock them down, you grab them by the feet. And you swing them by the feet, by the ankles. And right next to where you're swinging them is a big old hardwood tree. Branches don't start for the first 30 feet, you know. So it's just smooth and hard as concrete. This wood is so hard, you cut a hunk off and you throw it in the water, it sinks. It's hard. And when you get a little speed up, one or two swings, you just step over and knock your head against that tree, cracks it open. And then you maybe you make one more rotation and you 
toss them over in the pile with all the other kids. And most of the kids were killed like this. That gonna happen in uh, fucking Denver, 1975. I'm trying to tell you, you don't know what you're, what you're getting into in Southeast Asia. I'm trying to tell you this. Now this hasn't happened. It all happened at one time. Other shit happens daily, Southeast Asia. It's raw, especially Cambodia, but all of Southeast Asia is raw. Even Burma. Especially Burma. I'm trying to tell you that you're traveling into another dimension. You're not just going to a fun vacation spot in Southeast Asia. Oh, it's going to be pretty. Well, it is. You're a tourist. You get two weeks, your four weeks, stay in a nice hotel. You go to touristy places. You have a guide. Yeah, it's fucking great. Out of sight, out of mind, you know, have a great time. But I'm telling you, if you live there a long time, and if you get around in that society, you're going to see shit, you're going to experience shit, and you're going to be subjected to shit that you're not going to be prepared for. So all the kids, uh, they're all dead now. Uh, productivity is still going down. Inexplicably, it's just going down. People didn't have any, any, they don't have any, uh, any heart anymore. You killed my kids? Just kill me. I don't care. Please. Please. Please kill me. And the, the whole Pol Pot plan was starting to collapse. House of Cards. Slowly imploding. And they were running out of food. They got some of the weapons they wanted, not nearly what they wanted, but they got some. Most of it was shit. Chinese fucking shit, of course. Oh, what a surprise that would be. What's the last thing you bought? Fucking Scamazon. Turned out to be Chinese. With an American sounding brand name. And it worked for a day or two. Well, that's, that's their fucking guns too. That's their weapons. So Pol Pot was kind of unable to advance to his next uh, stage of his plan, which was to take over whatever the fuck, I don't know. I suppose probably all of Cambodia and then on to Thailand, because Thailand would have been really the next. If he would have gone into Laos, I was already communist. Com the communist would have said, fuck you. Vietnam would have said, fuck you. Thailand, they were, they're soft, you know. That's, they're like kittens, you know. We just go kill them, rape them all, make them farm. Okay. So about that time, after he'd killed the three mil, most of the bodies went into mass graves. Um, there's places you can go. They've got, they've got you know, 5,000 skulls in glass cases and shit like that. And that's, that's really kind of touristy. Um, 
but you can go look at that shit and you should. I mean, my thing is reality. That's my thing. I want to know reality. I have to. I'm driven to it. I have to know reality. I have to know the good, bad, and the ugly. i got to know what it is. So if there's reincarnation, I can make an informed decision on whether or not to come back to this godforsaken place. So about that time, Pol Pot's thinking, well, this, this is, this is fucked. You know, this is not going all that well. Maybe it's time to, you know, start hidden over here, hidden over there, whatever. And then he got word that after all these years of him doing that, after the damage is done, Vietnamese forces, communist Vietnamese forces, because, it, because the U.S. is out of Vietnam now, South Vietnam. So the communists just flooded in. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for all the equipment there, Mr. Biden. <laughs> you know, might as well. Um, and the, the, the Vietnamese forces are like, Pol Pot, we're fucking coming for you because we don't like what you did. We're going to roast your ass. We're going to fucking roast you, you son of a bitch. And they were coming. They're marching, coming into Cambodia, and, and Pol Pot's like, oh, well then, come on guys, let's, let's, let's go get Thailand, you know. We'll get Thailand and we'll conquer Thailand and then we'll get all of their people and we'll make them farm and then we'll enslave them. Oh, fuck a lot of girls. Oh my God, you know, that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll kill all the kids, you know, so they're not a burden to anybody. And then uh, when, the, when the Vietnamese come to get us in Thailand, well, fuck and shit, we have all the power of Thailand and we'll fucking kill them. Oh, you know. I think that was him. That's what he was thinking. So at this point, he's, he's heading north towards Thailand, and he's kind of fleeing. He's kind of picking up the pace, you know, like Vietnamese are coming right now. <laughs> Can almost see him out there on the other side of the rice paddies. And he's thinking, man, we need to get them moving. And so they're hoofing it, hoofing it, hoofing it, trying to get into Thailand. Now, I know I stayed in that region, southern Isan. I stayed there for quite a while. It's all just, it's a pool table. It's just flat rice fields, as far as the eye can see. Um, got scammed by a girl. Almost. I, she never got my money, but God, she tried. Tried every trick, every lie. But I was there for quite a while. I had a motorbike. And I got to know some people. And I knew several families, two or three whose kids would tell me they remember when Pol Pot was coming. And the word spread through southern Thailand like wildfire. Because they, they knew what was going on. They were getting broadcasts from around the world. <clears throat> Everybody broadcast, nobody acted. Um, so their, their parents are thinking, oh, fuck, now he's coming to Thailand. Look what he did in Cambodia, now he's coming to Thailand. This is quite distressing. And so when they knew he was close, they didn't know exactly where. They knew his forces were close. They were like right on the Cambodian border between Thailand. And they packed up every bit of food they could get. Clothing. And they moved off and hid in the rice paddies. Out there eating bugs and geckos and snakes, barely surviving. 
trying to keep their their camps behind any kind of little hill hilly thing or you know the berm of an irrigation ditch or something and they said they were told to you never stand up you never fucking look over that berm you let us do it we want to see if he's coming thailand had a few guns not very many they had a few the government hadn't taken them for their safety they had a few guns but they were shit you know they were single shot 22s and fucking crap like that it would have slowed Pull pot down a little bit because he wouldn't have been sure what they had. So when he when he starts to hear some popping noises, he can say, "Oh, hold up! Let, let's figure out what we got there," and then he'd go kill those people. And then, you know, it, it would slow him down a little bit. But they could have never withstood him at all. So Pol Pot and his army, and and there were there were some deserters by now. Some of them were starting to uh, say, "Well, you know, we don't really like doing this anymore, and uh, we're just going to go home now." <laughs> you know, and so they did. They just started walking home. Uh, it's quite a ways from the from that border to uh, Phnom Penh. Well, I, th- I guess they were drawn f- all, from all over Cambodia. It didn't matter, but they just started. Quite a few of them started walking home. And Pol Pot still had enough. He thought he could penetrate into Thailand, and you know, every little every little region that you conquer and gain that gives you more strength. You know. You can take on more Thai forces and more Thai forces. And, and they didn't really think that Thailand had much of a force of anything. Um, but Thailand did. Thailand, the, the, the Thai guys, they don't seem like they got balls. They're quiet. And they look weak. They're not. You rile them up, they're a motherfucking volcano. And they got pride. And they just dispatched the army down to the border. And they lined up on the border, Thailand side. And just basically held up one hand and said, no. And Pol Pot either saw it or he got word of it or whatever the fuck. And he's like, oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> and at that point, I think his army just dispersed. I think they just said, okay, game over. And they wanted to disappear back into uh, the countryside, back to their homes before anybody knew what they had done or who they were or whatever. So I suppose as they passed the Vietnamese troops uh, coming north, kind of when they went west and then they came north, pursuing Pol Pot, uh, they, they probably just waved and said, hey, how are you doing? And the Vietnamese didn't care about one guy or two guys. You know, they want Pol Pot and they want his fucking army. Um, so I think by the time the Vietnamese got up in the northern region, the army was pretty much gone. They had dispersed. They're just gone. And Pol Pot, this is, a, this is the curious part of this entire thing, most curious part. The scholars probably know more about this than I do. I have not figured this out. Um, Pol Pot got to the border to Thailand and then he stopped, of course, because he couldn't go any further. His army dispersed. And you'd think he would have run and hidden somewhere. Killed himself, you know, pulled a Hitler, whatever. But he didn't. 
and I cannot grasp this. He built himself a compound there in the jungle, pretty close to the border, to the Thai border. He just built a compound. He had a few guys left, you know, faithful, loyal guys serving. And I think he had some women, probably kidnapped from Phnom Penh. And he just built a complex. This would have been, I believe, 1979, when he got to the border. It could be a year off either way. And he just stayed there. He just stayed there. Um, I don't think there was much of a government left in Cambodia to come after him. And once the, once the Vietnamese realized that the army's no longer a threat and they're not doing mass killings, they, I think they just went home. They're like, okay, it's, you know, yeah, we kicked your ass, didn't we? <laughs> and they just went home because there's no more threat. I, I believe that's what happened there. There may be a lot more to it. But, but we only got, you know, 15 minutes left, so <laughs> we're going to summarize more and more. Um, he built himself a complex, and then what did he do? Lived out his life until he was old. Died in 98 or 99. Stayed in that same little complex the entire time. I don't know why, well, I, I mean, you know, Thailand, I guess they respected the sovereignty of Cambodia. I, I do know he was pretty worried about somebody coming to off him, so he had really tight security. I would off him if I had the chance. Um, lots and lots and lots of people would, but the Cambodian army, well, I mean, that was the army of, the, of Cambodia. Now, now it's gone. So whatever government is left, where are they going to get an army? They didn't have any army. <laughs> you know, <laughs> army was all killers. Now they're dispersed. So how are they going to get an army to go get Pol Pot? What, are you going to get the same guys who did the killings and say, go get those guys who did the killings? You know what? <laughs> That's not going to fly. Uh, they're, they're just going to say, I don't know. Killings? What are you talking about? We don't know anything about that. I, let's see, which end of this gun do you shoot? At? Okay, that's going to be their story. There were some cursory attempts to try to catch and prosecute some of his key people. Some of them, I believe, were captured and taken some kind of trials. I don't recall that anybody did any kind of time. If they did, it was only one or two guys. Um, they made a few cursory attempts to prosecute Pol Pot. Nobody ever went in there to try to catch him, I don't believe. If they did, then they just took him somewhere and then let him go again, because he was there until his death. They see a little home. There was a reporter went in there in I think she was in there in 98. It's a woman. I believe she was a British reporter. I believe. Not sure. And somehow she got a uh, interview with Pol Pot. And I read the interview, the transcript of it. Um, it was a little bit contentious. I don't know if she had security. He wouldn't have allowed enough security in there to be a threat to him. So she had to have been either alone or with just one or two guys unarmed. And that must have been a little bit tense. 
Jesus Christ. Took balls on her part. But she interviewed him, and she asked him some hard questions. And I remember she asked him something about the kids. And she said he got a hard look on his face, and he leaned over and kind of leered at her. And he said something like, I didn't order the killing of all those children. And she took it to mean, well, probably most, just not all, you know, so that absolved him. You know, he only ordered the killing of 80% of them. So therefore, therefore, what the fuck? And she was asking him some hard-ish questions, which again took balls on her part. Good God. And at another juncture, she leaned over and kind of leered at her, as I recall. And he gave her a hard look and he said, You think I'm a bad man, don't you? And I think that was about the time she shut up. <laughs> and she got out of there with her skin. Lucky girl. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then shortly after that, he died. I don't think it was long. It was like six months or a year after that he died. Uh, lots of speculation about how he died. Um, speculation is that he was doing a lot of drugs. And uh, technically, I think he probably had a heart attack. Uh, could have been old age, could have been the stress, could have been the drugs, could have been drinking. I have no clue. I don't remember how old he was. He was up there. He was quite a ways up there. He was old enough. He lived out a full life, as the Satans of the world often do. And that was the end of Pol Pot, 98 or 99. I think 98, maybe late 98, I'm not sure. Easy to look at. Um, I've been to the killing fields, I think, three times. Because I'm trying to come to terms with the horror. Remember Apocalypse Now at the end? Who was the big fat guy, the best actor on earth? Marla Brandon. He's all cut to rat shit and he's laying there dying. He had talked about the philosophical aspects of horror before. But he's laying there. He's got a minute to live. And he whispers. The horror. The horror. And the interpretation of that for the movie, you know, was that, okay, he, he came to terms with the horror. And I needed to go back there multiple times to try to come to terms with the horror because I couldn't understand it, couldn't grasp it. Now, if you go mucking around Cambodia, you're going to get tuk-tuks, you're going to get all, meet all kinds of people. Um, usually they won't bring it up. If you ask them, you know, do your parents remember Pol Pot? Well, every single, every single person there, you know, in their forties or whatever, they're going to say, yeah, the, he killed my parents. You know, he killed my sister, you know, and then, okay, well, 99% of that is just people who, well, they want a little sympathy. They want to be part of this whole victimhood 
thing. They identify very strongly with it. They want to be part of it. They want to share it with their people. They didn't lose anybody. So a lot did, but not everybody lost their parents, you know. So when Pol Pot vanished, the people are just like, and the, and the army, the army just dropped their everything. Well, no, they took their weapons. Uh, the army just walked out. They just stopped killing and walked out. Walked north, walked north through the jungle. Um, and the people are like, what the fuck? What the fucking fuck do we do now? What do, what do we do now? Well, the only thing they could do was walk back to Phnom Penh. Might be a fair walk. Might take them days to get back to Phnom Penh. They got back there, straggling, straggling, getting back there. No kids left. Kids are gone. Cried all the way, I'm sure. They're weak and sick and dysentery and horror-stricken. And they got back to Phnom Penh, and they would walk back to their home that they owned before, and they would find it full of families. Because some other families got there first. And they'd go to the door, and they'd say, Hey, uh, excuse me, this is, this is our home. You're going to have to go now. And the families in there would just say, um, Prove it. And they're like, well, I can prove it. I'll just go to the government office. I'll find the papers in the file cabinets. And, you know, this is this is our home. We grew up here. This is our home. Get out. Really, you got to go. And they're like, prove it. Well, what happened was when Pol Pot went through Phnom Penh, he destroyed every government record. Why? It's for fun. I guess. He didn't think that anything government-related or society-related. He, he thought that nothing organized should exist. Because if you're a farmer, you don't need that shit. Just destroy it. So, uh, you know, I don't know why. Somebody probably knows. So, almost every house in Phnom Penh, almost every business, just got taken over by whoever got there first. There was a movie theater downtown. I cannot remember the name of it. It was a movie theater of quite some repute. It was acclaimed a theater. No, it wasn't. A, let's see. Did they do movies? No, I think it was a live stage at that time. I don't know that they were, maybe they did movies, I don't know, but it was a, predominantly a live stage. And they had some of the biggest names in the world performed there. And it was big and beautiful, hardwood, ornate. One of the finest treasures of Phnom Penh. Beautiful theater, big. And the people who went to their homes and found them occupied, lots and lots, hundreds and hundreds of them just went there because they didn't know where else to go. Um, and they stayed there. That's where they made their homes. They never resolved the issues of who owned what. Ever. If you got to a place first and you occupied it, it was yours. That's all it was to it. That's how it worked. So they stayed in this theater. They trashed it. 
as people do when there's no structure or, or no money for support. They trashed it. The roof began to leak. The roof caved in in some places. They began pooping inside of it. Sounds like San Francisco's everywhere. You know. Um, when I left Thailand, they were still there. You know, this is like, uh, so they moved in there in 79, probably. So that's 40 years. Now it's another generation or two. They got born in that theater. And they were still there. They were trying to get it out, knock a theater down. You know, lots of people want to rebuild it. Um, and that's how life in Phnom Penh went. And to a large degree, still goes today. Now, I told you before, when somebody tries to steal my bag in Phnom Penh, I'm angry and I'll try to get it back. But I don't feel the white-hot rage that I do when an American tries to steal my bag because the Americans have training and they know better. And they have programs they can go get food. People will give them money and food and help them give them a fucking luxury hotel now. So my anger level when an American tries to steal my stuff is far and vastly greatly higher than when somebody from Phnom Penh does. Because even if that guy who's trying to steal my bag, maybe he didn't lose his parents, but maybe he lost his grandparents. And his grandparents are gone, so they couldn't teach the parents, their kids, right from wrong. Teachers are gone. Police are gone. Nobody to teach. Nobody to make an example of, of structure for the society. So they're still feeling the effects of it. They're still largely people adrift. They're trying to pull it together. They're trying hard. Lots and lots of them are really hard working. They tend to be smart-ish. And I like them. Yeah, they're rough and they'll steal you blind and sometimes they'll try to kill you, but I know where a great deal of that crime and ignorance is coming from. And so just a little part of me, I, I tend to overlook it just a little bit. Certainly not completely, but a little bit. It's like, oh, okay. In America, I can't possibly grant them that. They've had every goddamn perk, every opportunity, every everything in the U.S. And they're still stealing my bag? No, no, no. In Phnom Penh, well, you're not going to get my bag. I'm going to fight you. If I have to, I'll kill you. But I certainly understand why you're doing this. You know. Okay, so we're, time's up. That timing turned out not too bad. I hope in my lifetime I don't have to go through the story again. I'll just If anybody ever wants it, I'll just give them the tape. Uh, I left out lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff.
Um, first time I went to the killing fields, I, I just went there and I thought, well, this is just something I have to do because I, because I was so, it was so intimate to me from this, from, from the early seventies wanting to go back there with, with everybody and kick his ass, kick his ass. That, that, that was, you know, so I had to go to the killing fields. I had to see what Pol Pot had done. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be here. Uh, I told the cab, uh, wait 30 minutes, something like that. And he kind of chuckled. And I thought, well, this is, this is probably going to be a little sad, you know, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to see what happened. I was there five hours and I cried until. Until I didn't have any tears left. And that's when I. Walking around through a mass grave and I, something sharp went through my shoe into my foot and. I stopped and said, what the fuck? And I wanted to see if it was some kind of poisonous thing. Or First, I thought it was a snake. And then I poking around and I had a stick and I was poking around in the dirt. Oh, there's a bone. Oh, fuck. And uh, some Khmer guys came and we dug around, dug around. And, and it, it turned out to be the bones of a little girl. She had a chartreuse uh, polyester uh, little dress on. Because there's 70 fucking... Nine, they had polyester, you know, doesn't rot. Stays forever. Could have almost washed it and worn it. And they dug her up and uh, put her somewhere. She's just a skeleton. You know. So, uh, when you're thinking about going to Southeast Asia, think hard. Think, think. You're not going to another country. You're going to another planet. Maybe it's not even in the solar system. You cannot comprehend how different it's going to be if you're out and around, living there, being involved with the people, being involved in being involved, integrated into the society, not as a goddamn tourist. Don't go as a fucking Jesus Christ. Don't go as a tourist. Just go there and live there. Get out of the goddamn tourist towns. Get out of Bangkok. Go live in the real country. Go around to the other countries. All the other countries. Spend time in them. Sit with the people. Talk to the people as best you can. But don't think you're just going to a pretty place with palm trees where the people speak a little differently. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Okay, so next episode, what are we going to do? We're just going to continue on through uh, my experiences in Thailand until we get to other countries, I guess. I'm, I'm hoping to either put some kind of colored glasses on you or, or take off what you've got on so that you can see how different of a place it is. I know you can't comprehend it. I know that. If you stay in one of these countries five years and then you come back and you listen to this this particular tape, that little neural connections are going to go, Kaboom? Kaboom? Oh, God. Oh, God, that's what he was talking about. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I couldn't imagine at that time. Oh, my God, it was all true. Okay, that's what's going to happen. All right, so wasn't this a lot of fun? Oh, yeah, I loved it.
And I'm glad this part of it's done because that's the worst story I've, well, that's the worst big story I've got from there. I've got lots of stories that are as bad, but they're short little stories. Not in not involving too many people. <laughs> Certainly not three mil. Ah, oh, geez. Alrighty. God, I, I'm not going through the story again. All right. Thank you very much. I hope a little bit of the water I poured onto the rock soaked in. That's what I'm hoping. I don't know how it can without without you going there. You know, you're going to get three, four, five percent of of it. It's going to soak in. The rest of it's just going to be alien to you, but. Maybe you'll at least remember it. If you can't comprehend it, you can remember it. Maybe, I don't know. But you can't talk about Southeast Asia without going through this particular story. Alrighty. Thank you very much, and good evening. <coughs> Suck the bug. Suck the bug. <coughs> Um, Cambodia is one of the few places you can go to a street stall and you, you can buy a sausage or you can buy some rice or play to bugs or uh, play to snakes. You know, 20 cents, like that. Little snakes, they just cook them whole. Whole plate, whole plate, heaping plate, like a big old omelet. Thank you very much, and good evening, and good night. Oh, gee.